0: Welcome to the High Volume Hiring Podcast. I'm Steven Rothberg, the founder of College Recruiter Job Search Site. At College Recruiter, we believe that every student and recent grad deserves a great career. This podcast features news, tips, case studies, and interviews with the world's leading experts about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to high volume hiring. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Jerry Crispin of Career Crossroads, who can best be described as a lifelong student of hiring, lover of fine wine, and maker of probably the world's best Sunday sauce. Jerry, <laughs> welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's that's one of my best introductions. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and for the record, I've never had your Sunday sauce, but I've seen it through Zoom. So, there you go. Well, <laughs> we, we we something to look forward to. Exactly. Yeah. So we have a we have a bucket list, and that's I guess should be on mine. So um, before we get into sort of the real meat of the conversation, so that um, the, the the two or three people in the world of recruiting who might not know you personally, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into recruiting, some of the jobs you've had over the years, and then also the work that you do today with Career Crossroads. <laughs> you don't have enough time for that.
1: I, so this is <laughs> like my. F- Fifty-third year in recruiting. (laughs) I became enamored. So so you get 53 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was going to say, you know, when I went to college, uh, I got an engineering degree and then began studying uh, industrial organizational behavior in graduate school, which I spent six hours, Mm. six years doing. And while I was doing that in order to to pay for food and stuff, I was um, the associate director of career services. At Stevens mm-hmm. Institute of Technology, and I became fascinated by this whole this whole journey of how one recruits and what a what you know a career looks like and all of those kinds of things. And really, that started the journey. I, I became fascinated by it. I got most of my my PhD. Went to work for Johnson and Johnson for ten years. Was a loose cannon there for doing an awful <laughs> lot of things. Uh, I Have too many stories to tell. Um, worked for another career in and in, in effect recruitment marketing in those days there, there were recruitment agencies mm-hmm. <laughs> one they still are but they they call themselves different things now and uh for 10 years uh built a um a division if you will on the east coast for uh shaker advertising and then and then started getting fascinated by this thing called the uh, internet and began mm. writing books about that you were in uh, mm-hmm. actually before very long uh, about what was happening in terms of emerging technology from about 95 through about 2004 and then pivoted so I, those books were very successful I was a bookseller
0: yeah <laughs> and you were and you were consultant. the Stephen King of recruiting books
1: yeah <laughs> Yes, that did. You know, people (laughs) did get irritated and frightened by what I would write about them, for sure. So, yes, it was the Stephen King is a really good way of putting it. And then, you know, I got tired of consulting and doing all that kind of stuff. And I realized I realized uh, for Career Crossroads that people wanted to talk to each other that are, you know, that our peers who were who were recruiting they they everything was so moving so fast and so confusing in terms of how to how to recruit digitally if you will that and with technology that they wanted to talk to each other in real time and and mm. in an environment in which you know they wouldn't be outed for you know being screwed up but not doing it as well as they yeah. they they would like people to to believe and so that started Career Crossroads, and it really was bringing together small groups of t- talent acquisition leaders to share amongst themselves quietly what was keeping them up at night, and to listen to each other's stories, if you will, about what they shared in in trying solutions, and mm-hmm. hopefully with one of those solutions being inspiring them to do something uh, to move forward. And so, so I learned quickly to finish this off over the last 20 some odd years that there's a, there is a group of people who are passionate about recruiting, compelled to improve what they do, um, have critical thinking skills, so can challenge one another in a way that's positive and are willing to share unconditionally. Mm. And, and so my challenge for the last 22 years has been identifying who those people are, encouraging them or giving them the experience of engaging one another under those kinds of conditions and, and kind of building a community around that of people who care about each other enough to help each other be successful. And so that's kind of been what sustained me in my (laughs) later
0: years and keeps me in the game, really, from that perspective. Very cool. So one of, the, one of the things that's always fascinated me about the group of people in this community at, at Career Crossroads, on, on the employer side, is that that supportive that, in my view, non-judgmental. It's like, thank you for sharing the problem with us. Let's work together to solve it. Even if it doesn't help me personally or my organization, I want to help you solve that problem because I want this whole world to be better. There's yeah. There just seems to be a, um, a real passion around that. I, I know I've had the good pleasure of knowing a number of people in that colloquium. Mm-hmm. The only thing that any of them has ever shared with me about what goes on behind those doors Is whether they had a glass of wine or enjoyed (laughs) dinner as much as you did and so the confidentiality is critical Mm -hmm. and i've just i've never heard anyone directly say anything to me or or indirectly like that sort of like oh yeah you didn't hear it but so-and-so was blabbing about blah 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 and and that's unusual i mean these these are people who know a lot of people and they're very well connected Um, so, you know, you, you guys have done a a really good job of sort of selecting the people and I think instilling a culture, uh, in that. I think it's a continuous
1: challenge though. And I do think Mm -hmm. that, that everybody, including yourself builds pieces of that, you know, in their own kind of thing, even though their model isn't specifically that. So my model is specifically building community, but, but I do think that the tech, the, the, the approach that you have as a leader in your company and how you treat your clients lends to the same kind of thing. It's just that you don't focus in on the events that, that bring them together to do that, to, to actually share amongst each other, as opposed to, you know, some other aspect of that event, you know, curating content specifically. Mm -hmm. I, I do think that there's a future for how companies, because of this pandemic, et cetera, I do think this idea of community is becoming more, um, is emerging more as a critical component for what people want in their work life. Yeah. Whereas in the past they would compartmentalize and say, eh, I'm not going to get that out of my job. So screw it. I'll just go to work keep my head down, come home, and then try to build community with my family and my friends and my community, if you will. Um, yeah. And and I think that when you spend eight hours or 10 hours a day, four or five days, maybe even six days a week uh, you know, to, to make a living these days, and both spouses, if you will, are doing that, mm-hmm. um, people are starting to rethink that and say, that's, that's a third of my life. Why, why am I ignoring the opportunity to have something that's important to me? And so I think young people particularly are asking more good questions about those issues as they start their career. And I think, I think as folks mature, they're starting to learn the same thing. They're starting to ask themselves like why am I going from this job to the next job with the same pain in the ass work and and people yep. that I have to deal with? I really want to find a
0: place where I care about the people that I'm with in a, in a whole different way. Yeah, and 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 I agree with you. I think the pandemic has had a lot to do with it. The last couple of years we've all sort of Reevaluated what's really Mm -hmm. important in life and and having that corner office or the fancy job title or whatever is there's nothing wrong with that but there's a lot more to life than that so let's let's talk a little bit about about career crossroads for for people Mm -hmm. who don't know peer-to-peer invitation only meetings just corporate staffing leaders so you don't have vendors like college recruiter in the room although about a year ago um, you launched the talent solutions community and college recruiter was one of the um, what 15 or so starting members. There are like a yep. couple of dozen now, 21 um, now. Yeah. 21 now. Okay. And you know, um, so close, um, you know, 21, we'll, get, we'll th- get to 30 by the end of the year. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So two and a half, we'll call it well, two and a half dozen. We'll roll round up. And, you know, and, and again, so the the the, the, the meetings, the, the members that come together are sharing information, asking for assistance, sometimes sharing, you know, tips about different tools they're using, et cetera. Yep. And I just imagine the conversations; of those meetings must be sometimes really mundane, but probably mostly really fascinating. I I think yeah, they're they're run by their by
1: themselves. I mean, we we basically tee up an environment which people engage we just in fact i just finished one on on branding and we had it so we we've, we've we've evolved so we've got a little bit of a mm-hmm. guest now where we we try to bring somebody in who's got some data and information that makes makes good sense and then mm. primarily among again among just the employer ta leaders there's an open sharing of something that they've either solved recently or are really kind of proud of trying that it seems to be collecting some data that's working on whatever it is sourcing branding analytics whatever whatever the theme might be and then you get some pretty pointed discussions from the you know the peanut gallery as to how the <laughs> hell did you do that how did you convince your leaders to invest that that amount of money in doing that or why are yeah. you spending more money that's going bad <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. on that. So we we hear some interesting kinds of things, and it's little things that, you know, for the digital world, because uh, we've been doing it mostly now digitally, right? We're going back to some face-to-face. We used to mm. basically require no more than 40 to 45 people hosted by one of our members for a day and a half, and now we're doing lots of one-hour sessions. But, but we actually require everybody to be seen. It's like, don't mm. come if you can't be seen. So if you're telling me that, you know, you just got up and you, uh, you don't think you look good or whatever, get over it. Uh, but I want to <laughs> see an audience uh, that is engaged, energized, and, and either, you know, listening to one another. Yeah. As opposed to multitasking behind, the se- behind a wall in which you can't be seen. So those are li- those are little things that, you know, force the the intensity of people engaging one another. We'll be back right after this break.
2: Hi there. I'm Heather Drago and I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries so you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardknowpodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.
0: Welcome back to the High Volume Hiring Podcast. Just, just as an aside, I just I just talked to a young adult who interned at a company this summer and is kind of getting close to the end of it. And she's like, I will never, ever go to work for that company ever again. And I'm going to tell all of my younger classmates, siblings, cousins, everybody, don't have anything to do with them. It All the work was remote, which given COVID and the nature of the work, that mm-hmm. wasn't really an issue. But what was an issue was that every day... They would have a a stand-up call on Zoom, kind of make sure everybody's on the same page, and Mm -hmm. this is what we need to accomplish today. Great. Good communication, good mentoring, good coaching. Nobody had their cameras on. She has never seen her boss. (laughs) And she's had a call every day with him for a couple of months. She has no idea. And it's just, it's so impersonal. The word that she used to describe the, it it was that she feels like a drone. And that's not, that's just not a a good hiring press Anyway, so at, so Career Crossroads launched in 96, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I just came
1: across the first talk I ever gave uh, the slide deck for it. And uh, it was, it was December, 1995. And it was right after that, that we kind of created this thing called Career Crossroads and began engaging in putting together books about, how emerging
0: technology was going to change, uh, talent acquisition. Cool. So in the 26 years, what, one or two things, what's, what has changed in high volume hiring from 1996 to 2022? Like one or one or two things that have like that would really jump out. At you like, wow, this is so different now than then.
1: <laughs> Boy, it, that, there's a, there's a, um, I, I, I think of a normal distribution and, and so there's, there, there should be some kind of center thing that changed, you know, 80% is changed. Sure. So I, I would say 80% is not changed. Mm. Um, I would say more like there's, there's 20% that is really impacted results. And the 20% probably is uh, the use of, of automated kinds of technologies that allow for us to expand our ability to reach and engage and communicate with larger numbers of people. So that's the real positive of what's been do- what's out there. You could say that for the recruiter, the recruiter has access now to so much more information. If you think about some of the technologies mm. out there that allow for them to, to almost see the universe of all the people that they could possibly consider for a job. They, they almost have the capability to say there is, the universe is 122,000 people who do this yeah. and, um, and, and 80% of them, I have their contact information or I know how to get their contact information. As Um, as
0: do all of my competitors for that talent too.
1: As all, uh, yes, for you, as all of your competitors, right? Uh, so, So there's that. The problem now is the human part of how do I build relationships with people? When do I start? I used to give a talk in which I said something like, uh, for every 100,000 kids entering high school only 80% will graduate in mm-hmm. 4 years from high school i mean mm-hmm. there's just this dropout rate right yeah and of of the of the 80% that graduate only half of them will begin school begin college right so you're now down to 40% of the 100,000 and of the 40% that start only 20% or a little less 18% will graduate from college
2: mm. in 5
1: years in 5 years mm. and of those 18% only 100 will be 112 i think will be mechanical engineers mm. and of the 112 mechanical engineers of the 100,000 that started from high school yeah yeah um only 10 will be women, and of uh-huh. those 10, only five will remain a mechanical engineer after three years. Huh. So if I'm a recruiter, <laughs> the question is not, you know, how hard is this? The question is, when should I start talking to those five? Mm. High school, college, when in college, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the issue is is broader than I've got an opening I need to fill it how many people are available to fill this job the question is how do I influence change so that there's more women more mechanical engineers or more percentage of women more mechanical engineers if that's what we need and obviously mm-hmm. developers is the hot thing now and nurses is the hot thing now so we're so people are thinking not just how do i hire uh, a nurse but how do we make nursing a more attractive career or or change nursing as a career to be more attractive and more more satisfying for the people who are in it same with teachers same with whatever and and we don't think holistically about recruiting in that way and employers don't think of investing beyond a very narrow scope of what are the tools that you need. And so when you start thinking about that, there's so much more that we need to change in order to to make this journey for all of us uh, a much more satisfying one, a fairer one in terms of selection, if you will. So we still have enormous concern on the part of a candidate. If I survey a hundred candidates and ask them the what was the experience that you had in your last interview set of interviews you know going to a company? how many of you would say that the outcome was in your opinion fair? And the answer is <laughs> not going to be good. So recruiters are not viewed much more highly than politicians and so when you start thinking about what's changed in 20 years to go back to your question, there are things that have changed, but is the, has the perception of recruiting changed much? Mm, only in little places where we've, you know, made an impact, where we've influenced companies to be more transparent to the candidates about what we're doing to them, for them, and with them, so we come up with better decisions. How many companies actually share their decision process <laughs> with the right. candidates who didn't get the job? Not many. So, so my point is, I think there's, there's 10 to 20% that's actually changed for the good and, and pretty much 80% that still remains uh, to, to be changed, to make this process, our, our profession and our industry, a a powerful motivator, if you will, uh, for the
0: people who experience it. Yeah. And, you know, just put it another way if I can paraphrase part of what you were referring to is the organizations that are having a hard time finding available labor need to question what they can do to increase the amount of labor that's available. If they can increase sure. the size of that pie and you keep your slice the same percentage of that pie, that you're just going to have a bigger slice at at the end of the day.
1: We, yeah.
0: we we should be increasing
1: the pie for everyone, and if we did that <laughs> collectively, it would be a lot better. But we'd also have to answer questions collectively about what is a living wage for high speed pack for high speed not high speed high volume mm-hmm. jobs yeah. that may not require the same level of skills uh, that mm-hmm. that we you know we invest in you know getting engineers uh, you know up and running right. kind of thing. We, need, yep. is we and, and are we looking at the potential and are we investing in the education of people to go beyond a bare minimum, but capable of learning much more and, and, then, and then investing in them at that base level and, and, and helping them learn to a point where they become capable of, of exhibit, doing the job that we, we are looking for? So we, we have a lot of issues that we have to deal with. We, we accept... In some high volume jobs, a hundred percent turnover. Oh, why, at least. why do we do that?
0: Why do we do <laughs> yeah. that? We could. Yeah. What if?
1: What if we? Inv- why aren't we looking at ways to invest in retaining uh, some of the high volume that we've got, so it isn't such high volume <laughs> next time around, and yeah. and the, and the friction for you know people wanting that job. Who are fully capable to be fully engaged in that job uh, would be ho- different, and so the experience of the people who who are customers of that high volume job, you know, is is so much better from that perspective. So I find that I find our ability to you know to do these kinds of things really going to be important in the next few years, in how mm-hmm. we put together. Um, uh, the development of people as as a motivator for you know hiring them. That I promise that we're going to get you up to this level, and this is how we're going to lead you. That we're going to be more servant leaders. That that in your job, the bosses will come around, and the only thing they're going to say is, "How can I help you?" Mm. And, and not just mm. your boss, any boss in that company should be coming around. In, in the in the jobs that are critical like that high-volume jobs and they should be just saying how can I help you? What would make your job easier? What make would make your job better as opposed to? Uh, observing you in a way that says oh, I'm
0: catching you making a mistake. Let me let me tell you what your mistake is Hmm. Yeah, and well be, before we wrap up just one one very quick story one of uh, my kids worked at a Dairy Queen when he was a teenager And uh, worked there for flipping basically, well, he said, we don't really cook here. We kind of assemble. Uh, And it was sort of, it it, it more closely resembled a manufacturing facility than a restaurant in, in his description of it. And he said that by the time he left, it was seven months after he started, almost to the day, that he found out that the average employee... Uh, hourly worker not the management but management but the cashiers the people assembling the food etc they were there for an average of three months so he outlasted them at at seven months he would like more than doubled what they usually see and in that seven months he had three different managers and and that's they could really solve a lot of uh, their recruiting problems by having better retention practices and 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 treating people more than just as as drones um so Jerry, um, before we leave off, people want to get a hold of you, learn more about Career Crossroads. What should they do? Well, in Google, if you
1: type in G-E-R-R-Y, Crispin, C-R-I-S-P-I-N, you will find me pretty pretty easily. If you go to uh, LinkedIn and you type in the same thing, you'll find me very, very easily. And I think I have my phone number, my email, and all that kind of stuff. Um mm-hmm. you know, rather than Jerry at CXR.works, which is kind of my email address. But
0: um but I think it's easy to find me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you 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 and I, whether it's good or bad, we're pretty transparent. Thank you so much for joining us today on the High Volume Hiring Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Rothberg, of Job Search Site College Recruiter. Each year we help more than twelve million candidates find great new jobs. Our customers are primarily Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, and other employers who hire at scale and advertise their jobs with us. You can reach me at Stephen at collegerecruiter.com. The High Volume Hiring Podcast is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and College Recruiter. Please subscribe for free on your favorite app. Review it, five stars are always nice, and recommend it to a couple of people you know who want to learn more about how best to hire at scale. Cheers.
1: How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts,